Welcome back to the Cyclintist Podcast, everybody. This is a very special Tour of Flanders edition of the podcast. It's not Monday. It's Thursday, March 31st. Uh, and this is going to be popping up on Friday, just ahead of the racing this weekend. This is, a, this is a preview episode where we want to talk through the contenders, the route, the weather, everything that is going to affect what's going on at the bike race this weekend. And to do so, we've got some special guests, Ronan and our newest Cycling Tips edition, Johnny Long, are in, where are you guys? In Belgium, actually. Ghent? <laughs> yes, in Ghent, just by, just right underneath the motorway, which is what you see on all the postcards of, um, of Ghent and Belgium. Is it the E3 by any chance? <laughs> That's a very good point. I think it's the E17, is it? That's a good question. Probably so. No, it's... It's definitely the E17. I know the E17 well. Many, many a trip on the E17 from Ghent down to We're actually right, right between the E17 and the E40. Oh, mm. that's a, that's a location. beautiful spot in Ghent. Well, well I, this feels kind of like a, a very abrupt and weird way to introduce Johnny. Uh, you've probably seen his byline on the site already. He'll be popping in and out of the podcast as well. Uh, we're going to kind of skip over the the formalities here and just and just drop straight into an episode. I think is probably the best thing to do. But Johnny, really briefly, uh, I don't know. Introduce yourself. What, where, where do you, where do you come from, and what are you doing at Cycling Tips now? Um, where where do I come from is an easier question. Um, I'm from London, fairly dull. Um, now I'm in Ghent. It's very cold here. Um, I've met I've met Ronan. He's managing to drive a hire car around despite having a broken leg. Which I feel like the fact that he's managed to do that, then everything else is, is going to go well. Everything else will be easy. <laughs> uh, I got I got you a manual for the for Roubaix. Is that going to work, Ronan? At your own risk. <laughs> it's not my credit card. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this episode. We've also, of course, got Abby. How are you, Abby? Hey. Yep. Doing okay. Good. Glad to hear it. And Dane Cash. Good morning, Dane. Good morning, Kelly. So, Flanders. Now, we've got the three of us here sitting in our living rooms or similar, uh, two of us on the ground, Ronan and Johnny. So we're going to give a little bit of color from from Flanders itself, but, well, you guys probably haven't had too much of a chance to actually get around yet. We mostly want to talk about who's going to win these bike races over the weekend. So, yeah, let's start there. Uh, we're going to start with the men's race. We're going to go chronological order, and this year the women's race actually finishes after the men's race, which is cool. So we're going to kick off with that. Dane, I think people know the route quite well, but, you know, are there any significant changes that our listeners need to know about ahead of this weekend? Yeah, so no more von Gerritsbergen, which obviously has not been a, a major feature of the route in most uh, recent editions, uh, barring the one in which Philippe Gilbert uh, attacked on it. But uh, other than that, we seeing most of the major climbs uh, that, that have been the sort of main features of the race for, for quite some time now. Uh, there's, I think, three trips up the Eau-de-Quermont and then uh, two of the Eau-de-Quermont-Paderberg double. Uh, I think all told, uh, there are 18 climbs in the men's race, officially. Of course, there's, there's like you know 87 tiny little hills, if you want to count every single one. But according to the official route, and the organizers, there are 18 official climbs, uh, and a number of those climbs are cobbled, obviously. Uh, the thing, the, the racing, I think, is really going to heat up in the last, 
Last like 60K to go uh, when you get the first Autocore Mont Paderberg double, and then you kind of go into a last little really hard route, a hard loop, because the course just loops back on over itself a number of times as you kind of get down towards uh, Audenarda. Uh, the, the road from Antwerp is pretty straight, and then it's just it's constantly snaking back on top of itself. Um, yeah, the last 60K, uh, just one climb after another, and then that the last sort of the final loop. Uh, is is just really one climb after another with a number of, of cobbles. I think the the Kreuzberg, uh, which is inside the last 30K, and then the final Oto-Cremont-Paderberg is going to be the real, uh, the, the likeliest place for the decisive attacks. And of course, the, the last uh, the 14 or so kilometers are flat. So if you attack on the Paderberg or, the, or somewhere before that, you got to hold on all the way to the line on, on some pretty flat roads. So that that I, I love that. It adds a little bit of intrigue where... You need to have a pretty big engine if you want to stay clear. Um, you, there's enough time for chasers to kind of catch back on. So that will be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Yeah, that Cormont paderberg loop has kind of defined the race in the modern era uh, since Flanders Classics made some pretty dramatic adjustments to the finale. I mean, people who are watching this bike race 10 years ago will will remember that the mirror was really, like, that was the focal point, right? It was, it was, it was mirror Bosberg, you know, kind of into the finish. Uh, the mirror being gone entirely, it kind of stings a little bit for me. I mean, you're right in that it was it was moved into a much lesser position in recent years. You know, it was found at like 100k to go and like 60k to go. It wasn't not wasn't found at you know was it 14, 15k to go like like in the past or even less. But it it feels weird to not have that climb in the race. You know, I landed in Belgium this morning and I just knew there was something wrong with the country, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. <laughs> and and now I realize what it was, that the mirror is not in the Ronda. It's a travesty. I would I would like to spend a lot of time ranting about this, but unfortunately, we are in a bit of a, of a timeline today. Johnny's got to go. You have to go interview Demi Vollering in about 20 minutes, right, Johnny? Uh, so we'll leave our mirror anger aside for now and and just let's let's sort of specifically talk about this this finale which like i said is going to be familiar to anybody who's watched the race over the last couple of years that quermont paderberg duo uh they come quite close together they go over the quermont first they then hit the pavement the quermont itself is is a is a pretty difficult uh sector kind of kicks up at the beginning and then levels off near the top but gets really really rough at the top and then they turn left onto the pavement uh sort of big wide pavement that you'll also often see uh moves try to go moves come back they turn left onto well basically a bike path the the the, the tiny 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 belgian roads and it drops down into the paderberg that hard right hand turn onto the paderberg and then paderberg itself which is one of the steepest most difficult cobble sectors anywhere in the tour of flanders and that duo tends to define this race. Uh, although, like you alluded to, Dane, there's 14K of basically flat right after that, often into a headwind. And so just because you come over the Paderberg solo does not necessarily mean you're going to win this bike race. Yeah, I actually drove that final 14 kilometers or so. I think it might be that. I think it might be, it's between 10 and 14 kilometers, I'd say. And it's like when you're driving it and when you look at it on paper, it should be prime for any chasing groups to... You know, catch up with whoever happens to be in front of them but so many times we actually see it whoever comes over the top of the the Paderberg in the lead can then sustain that to the finish and I think it's just that everybody is so empty at that point although the road looks made for chasing down 
lone breakaways or two up uh, breakaways. We we actually rarely see it happen. I think it's you know there is so much fatigue in in the in the legs and nobody's really willing to cooperate that close to the finish line. And quite often, as the the, the riders we see come over the top of the Paderberg in the lead, actually can, despite seemingly impossible, can sustain small leads all the way to the finish. We've seen Sagan do it. We've seen other riders do it in the past. We've seen, of course, two ups do it the last couple of years. Um, so the, the Paderberg is, although if you put it on its own, like it used to be earlier in the Flanders, it made very little difference. Now with it being the last climb so far into the race, so steep, it, it really is one of the defining moments of the race on so many occasions. So other than the removal of the Mir van Gerritsbergen, which we're sad about, the sort of major changes to to any route this weekend is actually coming in the women's race and the addition for the first time of the Koppenberg, right, Abby? Yeah, the Koppenberg has been added to the women's race for the first time ever, which is super exciting. Actually, the last 45 kilometers is exactly the same as the men's, so starting from around then. And it really kicks off this, um, as Dane said, like this chain of climbs and cobbles that are going to define the women's race. The last 45, 50K um, is going to be pretty incredible. There's a couple climbs that have been taken out of the beginning of the race, which means that it might be a little bit tamer of a race than we saw last year in the first half. And last year was super interesting because the first half was super hard. And then by the time the live coverage kicked off, People were, it, it looked like an, like a boring race, but in fact it was because everything was so fast in the beginning that people were already cooked by the time that the TV turned on. So this year, the second half of the race is really where all of the crucial sectors happen. And just like the men's race, we've got the Eau de Cremont and the Paderberg, and then the 13 kilometer stretch to the finish that's going to be you know, make or break the race. So very exciting that the Koppenberg is part of it. It'll be interesting to see how the two, how the men's race versus the women's race play out, right? Because I mean, the Pelotons are different. There's different skill sets, different riders, different motivations. Uh, but putting them on the same finale, I think is actually kind of interesting uh, because we do get, we get like a, you know, a direct comparison between the two and and the different ways that like, yeah, these Pelotons are going to essentially, uh, teams are going to approach the same finish, like I said, given the various motivations between the men's and women's pelotons. So, Dane, this is a key thing. When should people tune in? This is me the sort of last bit of our little root uh, preview here. When should people tune in to make sure that they catch all the good stuff? So, the easy answer is that people should probably tune in. Uh, I think as they're approaching the, the sort of penultimate trip of the Auto Quermont. Um, and I, that's going to happen at 3.15 p.m. local time or, or thereabouts, I think, um, is the if you if you really want to see if you really want to wait. I mean, obviously, you should just watch the whole race and then you don't have to worry about this. Right. But like if if you want to see the likeliest part of the action, I think it's probably inside the last 60K. So 3.15 local time, 2.15 in the UK, 9.30 a.m. in east coast of america united states and australia is switching their daylight savings uh this weekend so 
if I say what time it is, I'm probably going to be wrong. Uh, and I, I haven't tried to figure it. I haven't tried to figure out what time it would be in, in Melbourne and Sydney yet. So just know that, yeah, 315 ish uh, in in uh, in Flanders and you can figure it out from there. I think is probably when we're going to start to see the attacks really heat up because after that, you know, you have that kind of last last loop. Of course, you, they could go earlier than that. The attacks could go earlier than that, but it, it's, I think it's likeliest that the, the final 60K is really where the, the action is. We have got Pogaccia and Vanderpool in one race, though, so maybe take 15 minutes off of that, say 3 p.m. just to be safe. It's true, yeah. I, I, they could go 100K out. Who knows? Just to make sure you catch it all. And then the women's race... Like we said, finishes after the men's race. They just stay tuned in. Do we know kind of how they're going to run that broadcast, Abby? Like, are, are they going to like how much a, how much after? Because they can't be on the loops at the same time. What's the timing look like? Uh, the women's race starts at three p.m. local time. Well, the live coverage kicks off for the women like er, earlier. We have thirty-five more minutes of live coverage this year than we did last year, which is very exciting. Um, but I don't know how. If you're trying to watch both, I would um, I would say do a split screen. That didn't answer your question, but you should just do a split screen. Well, the nice thing is that, yeah, the, 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 the tune-in time is roughly the same for either one. Just pull them both up and yeah. you're good to go. You can have the, the men's race as it's finishing on like the TV and then the women's race on your computer and then flip them. Sounds good. Let's get into contenders. That's a more interesting discussion than the route, which frankly has not changed that much other than our sad removal of the mirror and the kind of cool addition of the Koppenberg. Flanders hasn't changed a whole lot in the last, well, four or five years. But the contenders changes a huge amount every year. So let's 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 start that. What should we just kick off with picks perhaps and then and then everybody has to defend themselves in terms of who they are selecting. I feel like we should mention we're we're recording this on Thursday and I feel like we should mention the the big news of the moment and the way that the contenders themselves have changed dramatically in the last 3 4 hours. Uh this could still change because we don't, we don't have any concrete information on this, but as far as we know as of Thursday morning uh, Wout van Aert is apparently sick and might miss the race. And so he was the bookie's favorite heading in to today. And he's no longer that, and he might not race at all. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, we should probably let our listeners know. And that could change. Maybe he's fine, and maybe he starts the race and wins the race. And so it's, it's hard to say right now what's going to happen. But as of Thursday, that's where things stand. A pretty significant update there. So this is how we're going to do this. Everybody on this podcast has to make their pick for the winner uh no doubles you can't pick a rider that somebody else has already picked so if you go last sorry uh and we're gonna start because he has to get out of here soon with johnny so make your we're gonna start with the men's race make your men's race pick and then a brief moment to defend yourself i'll make it easier for everyone else by picking oliver narson um he did crash out on Wednesday at Dwarz, and he did tell me on the phone earlier today that he is not feeling good. But he, the internet's off in his house at the minute; it's not working, so there's no distractions leading up to the race, which I think is crucial. <laughs> um, and and he's also just a really nice guy, which I did obviously you know because you look at him and you're like, you're obviously a nice guy. Um, but he says like people in Belgium, like like fans, like come and knock on his door and he chats to them. So I think that's as good a reason as any to win sort of like the most cycling bike race. 
That is an excellent reason. I, I'm I'm really convinced by the fact that his internet is not working. So he'll just have the ultimate preparation over the next couple of days. Ronan, who do you got? I'm going to go for uh, Frederick Versnes from uh, UNOX. No, 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 really. <laughs> <laughs> who do you got? No, let him, let him keep it. Let him keep I mean, it. if you want to take that so that we can take, yeah. like, you know, Matthew mm. Vanderpool, then that's fine. I feel fine. like we should. I don't know why we decided that we can't double pick because that's never been a rule on the, on the Cycling Kids podcast before. So I just, where did I come from? It's, yeah. it's a rule now, Dane. This, yeah. this isn't a democracy, yeah, Dane. Okay. This is a dictatorship. Uh-huh. You, you want to pick Frederick, too, don't you, Dane? <laughs> Yeah, I now I don't know what to do. No, I fully expected you to send me last, Kelly, so I thought I would just pick some complete randomer and that he's the last person on the start sheet. So uh, that was who I went for. Last shall be first. But uh, I think a, a healthy white fan art is very difficult to look past, but we don't know if he's healthy at the moment. Um, and then I, I really couldn't decide between Vanderpool and Mads Pedersen's but I'm going to go for Mads Pedersen because he just looked so good in Gent-Wevelgem last Sunday. Didn't look great in Wevelgem or in Dwar's door, but he could well have been taking it easy. I don't know. Uh, I did see him out doing an extra long ride today. The rest of the Trek guys got in the bus. He kept going. So either he has terrible legs, he's trying to get feeling better, or he has great legs and is feeling nothing. I don't know. Do we think the wild thing is a, is is mind games, potential mind games, or is he or is he sick? This this did cross my mind, but I'm also I know he was phenomenal just last weekend, but he's been phenomenal for so long since Pet Newsblad. I'm starting to wonder is he is he already over the peak? Anyway, we you know we know there's a lot of sickness going around, but if I think back to previously before there was a lot of sickness going around, riders tend to be at their most susceptible while they're in peak form or, or, you know, immediately after it. And, you know, if he has got sick now, is it something to do with that? Who, who knows what, you know, this is completely speculation, but I, I sort of had, you know, I, I know I just said that it's hard to look past a healthy white fan art, but I'm, I'm also not entirely convinced this week that he has planned his peak correctly. Seeing that, you know, just how good he was in E3. And then as good as he was in Welvigam, it wasn't Van Art good. It was, it was like, Normal, really great writer, good. That makes sense. Mm. I, we won't know till Sunday, I don't think. But it, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a team has put out. So in the past, when a rider is truly sick ahead of a major event like this, generally teams hide that, right? Riders and teams hide that. So it's unusual to me that like that. I mean, they put out like a statement, right? Like the, this is like an official thing, and. It, it it does it, it just like strikes me as a little bit perhaps perhaps sort of the rules of engagement have changed with covid that you're kind of not supposed to hide sickness anymore i think that I they know. put out a statement because it's likely he's not going to race and that looks weird if all of a sudden wow it's not on the start line um then that's that's odd but they said in the statement that it's he it's unlikely he'll race or something along those lines so i think it's a real thing not mind games i think you're probably right unless it's mind games like oh he's not gonna be there and then like i don't know he jumps <laughs> he out just of the shows bush. up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i kind of doubt that'll happen but yeah yeah you never know you never know we're losing johnny johnny has to go talk to demi Vollering. all right we'll pick well, his women's winner in. for him we'll just give him yep somebody. yep could be demi Vollering, maybe uh abby your pick and your defense well, Ronan picked my pick, 
because I'm biased, but I think in without Wout Van Art, I am going to go with Tij Benut. Now, I was really, really tempted to pick Stefan Kung because he's been really consistent in the past couple of races, um, but he's really only got one way to win, and that's solo. So it narrows down the chances a little bit. So I'm going to go with Benut. I like this Tij Benut character. That's my defense. I don't pick people I don't like, and I think Tij Benut seems like a cool guy. And <laughs> let's be honest, if if Wout is out, it's a good opportunity for him, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Makes sense. Dane, who do you got? I I mean, I didn't expect to have the opportunity to pick Matthew Vanderpool. So, Matthew Vanderpool, uh, thanks, I guess, for leaving him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. I'll pick Matthew Vanderpool. I, I think uh, probably Wout Van Aert if he were healthy, but uh, the way that Vanderpool has ridden the last two weeks, I think he has shown that he's in great form. And Quickstep hasn't really shown us that they were good enough shape for me to think that Askreen is going to uh, be there. I, I hope he is. I really hope we get a, a great performance from Quickstep to make things interesting. But for now, it looks like Matthew Vanderpool is the on-form guy. Dan, we've seen Vanderpool, like, what was he on the podium of San Remo, his first race of the season? And then he won in Copy Bartley and he won in Dwar's Door. But, you know, uh, with the possible exception of San Remo, given its sheer length, none of them are as difficult as Flanders. And San Remo isn't as continually challenging as Flanders is throughout the full 260k what what's your thoughts on the like does Vanderpool will he have the legs to for that sort of race you know San Remo you can hide for so much of it yeah maybe not to beat Waff on Art but I mean if Matthew Vanderpool is at like 30% he's still better than I don't know the vast majority of people so I, I think it's a valid it's a great point I, I you're absolutely right Dwarves is not Flanders but at the same time I'm just like looking at the list of contenders and who nobody stands out as having kind of proved their their uh, form that much better than, than Vanderpool, uh, even for a longer race like Flanders. Uh, I think Christoph Laporte, maybe, but yeah, I, I've been kind of wondering where the heck Quickstep is. And that just kind of makes it hard to pick anybody else. Cause yeah, nobody, nobody's really shown that much. A lot of the other potential contenders just haven't really been there. It's been, it's been the Yumbo Visma show and, and obviously uh, Benny Amkermai, but he's not racing Flanders. All right. My pick and my defense. Now I was I was I thought somebody would pick Tadej Pogacar by now. Uh, he's sort of yeah he's listed in in among the top favorites without well any real history just based off of the fact that he's Tadej Pogacar. <laughs> he, he had a pretty good ride at Dwarves actually. I mean, timed his attack wrong, kind of then missed a move, but finished inside the top ten and and sort of had some quotes afterward about oh yeah I learned a lot today. Uh, now granted. Flanders and Dwarves, not the same thing. And Flanders is really hard and uh, I think requires too much knowledge, too much experience for Pogaccio to go and take the victory in his, in his first time out, although I was tempted by him. And so my actual pick is Christophe Laporte because if I think back over the last couple of weeks, he's, he's dropped everybody but his teammate. Wout Van Aert a couple times <laughs> uh, and he's been part of those Yumbo Visma one twos one two threes and things like that and if Wout is truly sick and we think we we think he is then much like Teach Benute it's it's an opportunity for him and and if he wants to grab it he is in the form of his life 
And he's his team leader is now out of the way. And I think he is going to be exceptionally motivated this Sunday to take it. So I'm going to go with Christophe Laporte. I think it's a solid pick, Kelly. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm surprised nobody picked uh, Pidcock because he's racing, isn't he? I think he's a pretty good shout, too. He also just, he just signed a, like a ridiculously long contract, five year, a five-year extension with Ineos Grenadiers. All the way out to 2027. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think he's a pretty good bet. I don't know. He's been he's been like a little bit quiet over the last couple of weeks. Not quiet. Quiet for him. He was which like, is like not winning anything because he had this stomach bug, right? And so I, I think that he sort of like slightly slipped off of people's minds the last couple of weeks. But maybe that's perfect. Maybe he's maybe he's timed this perfectly. I mean, we, we've always said that extending your your run all the way from you know, all the way from Amalupet Newsblood all the way to now or even two weeks from now in Roubaix is really, really difficult. In fact, basically impossible. So it is worth keeping in mind that some of the riders that we have, that have maybe been a little bit quiet in the beginning of the, of the classic season, maybe they are coming good right about now. We also didn't mention any of the old guard at all. Greg Van Avermaet had a pretty decent ride this week. But the old guard is basically, what, forgotten by us now? I feel Any like, chance for them? I feel like it's worth, I don't know, mentioning them just for for the sake of mentioning them. I mean, there's a few people in the start list that I feel like we wouldn't pick but are but are worth mentioning. Like, for example, Victor Campenarts, obviously not old guard, but has been riding incredibly well and rode very, very well at Dwarves. Um I'll leave any talk of the old guard up to Ronan and Dane because they know more. Well, there's no Sagan. So, I mean, that, that obviously he's a big part of that, you know, quote unquote old guard. Uh, so without him, I think Van Avermaet's the, the obvious kind of old guard member. And, and he's been okay this year. He's, he's been up there and, you know, he was there and in, in, uh, had Newsblood. But other than that, I mean, a lot of the, you know, Nikki Terpstra is sort of like the, uh, Anthony Torgis is the is probably the guy at at, at uh, Total Energies. So Terps, the former winner of this race, is not, I think, even the the main leader on that team. And I think that's kind of the case for a number of those kind of the riders who have been up there in the last several years. At this point, they're maybe the second option on their team, or or they just haven't really done much to show us the that they're in form. Or, or or like Sagan, they're not racing at all. Except for Mark, Johnny Moscon, Bar. The one I'm surprised that nobody has mentioned is last year's winner, Asgreen. And it sort of signifies Dane where Quickstep... Oh, did you? Sorry. Yeah, I, was, I I think he's a potential winner for sure, but he's just been so... The whole team has been so quiet. I was just going to say, I think that's more... You know, it's it's more about the team than, than Asgreen himself, because Asgreen has been in the front of every race we've seen him in, but he's just been lacking the support and the numbers that we have known Quickstep to have for the... You know, God knows how many years now they've always had the numbers to play in the finale. And this year they've gone from being the wolf pack to the one man band in, in the front in the front group. They've literally only got Asgreen when the splits happen. I really want Lavanar to make this race. I don't want him to miss the race, but I do think that if he doesn't race, it becomes a potentially much harder to predict predict affair, not just because it loses kind of one of the big favorites in Vanar, but also because I think Yumbo Visma probably was going to slide into that role of controlling the race with the firepower that they have. And without Van Aert, I don't know that they do that. And so if 
you know, if Asgreen, you know, launches a long range attack, or really if anybody does, I'm not sure the match of Interpol has the, the team support to chase those things down. His team is not bad, but it's not Yumbo Visma and it's not as good as old school's quick step was last year's quick step. So if there's no Van Art and if quick step isn't quite, you know, where they once were, I think we could see a lot more attacks flying, uh, including from the quick step riders. And I think that could be really hard to predict. So I, I hope Van Art races, but if he doesn't, I think there's a potential for a very un, uh, uncontrolled race. What about Jasper Stoyman? He rode mm-hmm. relatively well at the, that game, he, he was, he was okay. Um, he wasn't, right home to your mom good in my opinion but i think that the duo of jasper and mess is a more promising is more promising for mess in the finale um if trek play their cards right i also i think that as i continue to derail the conversation and kaylee tries to move us along in a shocking twist of events that it's worth mentioning <laughs> um mate mahorich because we didn't mention him and he's been riding well, obviously. So <laughs> worth a mention. Just just on the Stoven question, I, I, I picked Pedersen, obviously, and strangely, my only, not concern, but my only hesitation in picking Pedersen was that he's with Stoven and the team. And normally that should be a formidable duo, but I think Stoven's recovering from illness earlier in the season and he's not the Stoven we've seen in the past. And we've seen... Last weekend in Welvegem, he was in a four-man group, and you know, nine times out of ten, he wins that four-man sprint. You know, it, it, when he's when he's the Stoven of old, but at the moment, he he can't really Trek can't really play their cards on Stoven in the final. I don't think because you know he's 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 not in he, he hasn't got his best form to win the race, and I think that sort of hampers them in that they also can't really ask him to work for Pedersen, given who he is and the Palmeiras he has. So it's sort of I don't think there'll be any conflict in that team because they seem to work it quite well. But I do think it's a, it you know there could be a situation where they end up with Stuyven and and Pedersen in the front group, and other teams are looking at them saying you've got two guys when really they've only got one and a half. And that, that sounds terrible to Stuyven. He's obviously not half a rider, but he's not the Stuyven of old. Is is the point I'm trying to make? He has he's had another like week to recover, so. Maybe he's one week faster than he was in in Gatwebel game, but yeah, I I agree that normally watching that breakaway right away, you would put your cards on Stoyven to win. And uh, looking at his facial expression when they were riding, I was like, why is he working? He should be sitting on because Mess is going to win from the back, and he looks like he's haggard. I'm curious if he will be feeling better at Flanders and. And if that will make like a big difference, because I think it could if he is. And I mean, Quinn Simmons is also sick, Trek said. So Trek's kind of the the, the poor guys. They're just down, down a little bit at numbers. Been a whole whole spring of that, right? Yeah. A whole spring of that. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's, it's, these previews are harder to do than they normally would be, because it, it's, you know, normally we have a pretty good idea who's racing Flanders a week ahead of time and you know we're, we're a couple days ahead of time now and we're still not entirely sure whether it's like more unpredictable than during covid exactly <laughs> like the, you know the number one favorite for the race could or may not be in the bike race and we don't know that that yet and like you said dane that will have a dramatic impact on the way that this this race plays out uh, whether Wout is there or not because his team will race differently the rest of the teams will race differently. Whenever you lose a rider of that caliber, 
it, it changes the entire race dynamic. And it could work in favor of some of the sort of smaller names, right? It could be a little bit more chaotic, it could be a little bit less controlled. You know, I, I was sort of assuming going into this race that it would be Jumbo Visma controls. We end up with, I don't know, a, 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 a Flanders reminiscent of a couple of years ago. I remember where like it, it felt like it was the same couple riders in the front group every single time. It was like Peter Sagan and a couple of years before that, like Boonen and Cancellara and like this sort of just the same group. It felt like it was going to be that again, where it was going to be Wout van Aert and Matthew van der Poel and maybe one or two others. And now I'm not so sure. Now, now I think it could go any of half a dozen different, completely different directions. Every, every, everywhere from kind of a larger bunch sprint where you start looking at riders like Mess Peterson to some strange solo Alberto Betiol-like thing, right? I, I think that it could be an extremely open race on Sunday. But let's leave that. Let's leave that for now and get into the women's race and contenders now, the finale for this, like you said, Abby, is is different. It's harder, I would say. Is that accurate? Mm, I don't know. Up for debate. By the numbers, it looks a bit harder, but it, of yeah. course, it kind of depends how they race it. Yes, correct. Um, from the, like, looking at the profile, it looks like it's harder than last year in the finale, but it's still, there's still a long stretch of road before the Koppenberg and then, um, after the Kreuzberg and into the Ode de Quermont, there's a little bit of time to kind of regroup. So what's tricky about predicting the women's race is that um, the emergence of Elisa Balsamo means that Trek Segafredo has been keeping all of these races together. And when I wrote the preview, um, I wrote about how we've had five five world tour races so far and four of them have ended in bunch sprints which is pretty much unheard of in the women's world tour season before so it's been a weird season and it makes looking at this race and and looking at how it's been won in the past really hard to predict because in 2017 it was not as hard but and it was won by Corinne Rivera or Corinne Lebecki um, in like a reduced bunch sprint. So that's a that's a possibility. But we also have Van Vluten in the race, which could completely change the dynamic. So I wouldn't want to pick a winner, but you're going to make now me. you have to. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Abby, you can go first. Oh, God. You can go first. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with Voss because while she was sick and she missed her fail, Alfredo Binda, she rode very well at Gant Wevelgem and she is Voss and she's only won Flanders once, which, you know, for her, that's, you might as well not have won it at all if you've only won it once. Um, So, yeah, so I'm going to go with Voss. Feel good about it. You can't argue against the goat. It's impossible. Ronan, who do you got? I was hoping you'd give it to somebody else first who would then pick Balsamo and I could say, well, if I could pick Balsamo, I would, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) In this scenario, I can pick Balsamo, but I'm still not going to because I think think there's a a Stein de Volder-esque coup or heist about to happen and Ellen Van Dyke is going to win Tour of Flanders. Oh, now that's a fun scenario. Mm. 
So that's while everybody's watching Trek ride for Balsamo, Trek are riding for Van Dyke to ride solo to the finish. He's like, she's done it before and she's incredibly strong this year. So I think it's a good pick. She is. Like we've seen her last weekend, Gent Welvigam single-handedly chased down every breakaway. Uh, the one that she struggled mm-hmm. with was um, Race Brown, who was I was very tempted to pick. Uh, but, you know, ultimately she won in Valenciana as well. Van Dyke did. Uh, so I think she's got the form. Who knows if she'll have the freedom or not, but it would be fantastic to see. I, I don't think this parkour or this course lends itself to a solo breakaway like that the same way as the previous one did. But let's keep fingers and toes crossed for an amazing ride on Sunday. I really like this one. Dane, who do you got? Uh, I'm thinking Annemiek van Vleuten. I was ju- I was going to say, I can pick Bold who play, Dane's going to pick. I, was like, <laughs> I can pick who Dane's going to pick for she, Dane. I don't know that she's the <laughs> heavy favorite for this that she is for a lot of other races, though. I think she's a heavy favorite in almost any, everything she starts. I think she is a favorite, absolutely. I don't think, you know, but if it, in a lot of races, she's like the odds-on obvious pick. I think today, or this this weekend, I think it's a little bit more of a question mark. She hasn't, uh, just hasn't had the same kind of build-up uh, for for this race. And, and part of that's that I think there are fewer races, uh, few, there are fewer top-tier classics uh, on the women's side and on, on the men's side for the kind of build-up period. So we get a little bit less kind of information going in. Uh, but Van Vleuten was, you know, the winner at, at Het Newsblad and second at Strata. So I think she's in fine form and I, I think it's a good course for her with enough climbs for her to kind of put the pressure on. Uh, but I think there's a, a battle brewing. I think Mariana Voss is a really good pick. So It is, of course, 12 months since Van Vleuten won this race. So she is due another win at this point. <laughs> I know it was 10 years before that, but... <laughs> That is very true. D- Dane always, you always, you always get the picks. You like pick more winners than the rest of us. But that's because you make, we you always... make intelligent picks. As, <laughs> I suppose the rest of us were like, I think this random thing will happen. You're like, no, the best bike racer is going to win the bike race. Well, one of these days it's going to be Ronan's, you know, random dartboard pick, and he's going to look like a genius. So that's why, <laughs> that's why you do that. One of these days. One last, of these days. Last weekend. When we were making our staff picks that Mikey puts on our on the social media, Tom's picked both of the winners. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go with your picks. I'm going to go with my outside picks and they're definitely going to win. And then he's got to sit there all day and gloat because he picked both of the winners. <laughs> I was so upset. Yeah. I mean, we like to pretend that bike racing is super unpredictable, but really, it's not that often that a dark horse wins uh, major events like this. It's, but it's mostly more fun. won by like, yeah, it's more fun it to pick just like randoms. Cause then you're really excited. That's very true. Not that Mariana yeah. boss. Is I was like going to say, I feel like pick. picking the greatest cyclist of all time is, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. <laughs> it always seems so predictable to me in hindsight, you know, after Mohoric's attacked on the descent of Lancer, I was like, of course that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That makes so much sense. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> haven't you seen the U23 World Championships in 2013? We should have seen this coming. My pick, my pick, because no one else picked her, is Balsamo, which seems like another equally obvious Can she win pick. four World Tour races in a row, though? That just seems too ridiculous. Never been done before. Why not? I feel like one, once you've won three, winning the fourth is... <laughs> 
Which, easier than the first ones, right? I which mean, which is more ridiculous? One in four World Tour races in a row are not picking her to run her fourth World Tour race in a row. Exactly, exactly. Because they're it's not like they've been all the same race either. Like they're they're all over the place, and it's she's basically shown that she's almost undroppable and is going to beat you in a sprint. So that's a pretty good that's a pretty good combination for the Toro Flanders, and she will be my my pick. And if she wins, or if any of your picks win. We get to spend most of Monday's show gloating. Well, we've picked half the Peloton by now, so <laughs> somebody's going to get to Tom's, been, Tom's has been gloating for a week about winning, about <laughs> picking both the Gent Wevel game winners. So, uh, well, I think that's it. That we we've yammered enough about the Tour of Flanders this weekend. Hope you enjoyed the special episode. Go check out cyclingtips.com, great website for. Super in-depth previews from Abby and Dane, plus coverage from the entire weekend. As we said, Ronan and Johnny are on the ground in Flanders. We'll have a pretty good crew at Roubaix in a couple weeks as well, and we'll do some extra podcasts around that. Last thing before we wrap up for today, uh, I want to just say a, a, I don't know, a brief word about our colleague Richard Moore. Uh, some of you probably read the story that I put up on the site was it this Wednesday now, uh, which is when this news broke? Richard, I, I, if you listen to this podcast, you're a podcast person. You probably listen to the cycling podcast. It's the has been the world's most popular bike racing podcast for, for a very long time. And so you know Richard. Uh, and the sort of the beauty of this medium is that that relationship is – I don't know, feels closer than, than the written word. Right. And so I think a lot of people out there probably feel like they, like they knew Richard quite well, like they were friends with Richard and, uh, and he, frankly, like he kind of felt the same way. I, I, I have known Richard for, I knew Richard for a very long time, spent many, many, many a bike race with him. Uh, and I know how much listeners meant to him as well, not just because, they were funding his life and, and supporting his family and things like that. But because of the feedback that, that, that he would get from them and the interactions that were really valuable to him. So anyway, Richard passed away on Monday, uh, of natural causes. The family said it was a heart attack. Uh, and the entire bike world is been reeling since then. I have been reeling since then. Uh, and so I just wanted to, sorry. I wanted to take a minute and just remember Richard. So I don't know, <laughs> go play an old cycling podcast, go read slang the badger. Uh, and think about the people who are important to you and spend some time with them today. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks everybody. <laughs> <laughs>